We read God's Word this morning in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 8. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 8, and we read the whole chapter. Verse 1 follows the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spake. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord... I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? 
Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inspired word. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 8. May he bless the reading thereof unto our hearts. The text we consider in particular this morning is Matthew 8 verses 16 and 17. When the even, and that is evening, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what that must have looked like that evening in Capernaum so many years ago when Jesus, the great physician, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, the son of man who came not to be ministered unto but to minister, when Jesus healed the sick outside the house of Simon Peter. What an event, and not the only event, of course, like this that we find in the sacred gospel history that God has given to us here. And an event with great significance when it comes to the office of Jesus Christ, what He came into this world to do. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came into this world to usher in through His death and through His resurrection. And a blessed gospel history that shows us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the servant song of Isaiah, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who was wounded for our transgressions and with whose stripes we are healed. Well, this morning we have the the privilege of considering and hearing together This history of our Lord Jesus Christ ministering to the demon-possessed and to the sick. And it's a history here that shows to us and unveils to our view the heart of our Savior, His compassion, His pity, His power, His strength towards His people. 
As the Greeks said to Jesus, not long before Jesus' betrayal, Sir, or they said to His disciples rather, Sirs, we would see Jesus. We desire to see Jesus. So by the Word of God that He has given us, Jesus shows us Himself. And that's, that's the goal as we consider this text and the wonder of this history is that we see Jesus and seeing Him, trust in Him, confide in Him, rejoice in Him, and praise God for Him. Let us consider this text then under the theme, The King Heals the Sick. Noticing in the first place the sickly scene. Noticing in the second place the wonderful healing. And noticing in the third place the powerful means. So Capernaum, a couple thousand years ago outside the house of Simon Peter. That's where we are with this history. It's the evening after the Sabbath day. And Jesus is in uh, Simon Peter's house with the disciples. He had just healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And next thing you know, there's all manner of people that are being brought to the threshold of Simon Peter's house with Jesus inside. Well, what explains it? Well, people in town had heard of this Jesus and of the, of the miracles that He performed and was able to perform. A man who healed the sick. A man who didn't uh, walk away from and turn His back on those who stood in need, but actually went towards them and ministered to them and, and had mercy upon them. Well, that news is, is being reported through the city of Capernaum, which is right next to the Sea of Galilee. And so after the Sabbath day comes to a close and the sun is setting, we read uh, verse 16, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. So what kind of people were showing up at the door of Simon Peter's house? Well, the text says, them that were possessed with devils. Now, we've read, we've read the Gospel accounts. We've read of people possessed with devils and things like that. The, prob- the danger, of course, uh, really something to be on guard against, is that we just kind of casually skim over those kind of details in sacred history. Uh, this man was demon-possessed. Here, here are brought to Jesus demon-possessed people. If we had been there, there would have been chills running down our spine. We would have been shaking in the knees seeing these people come to the door of Simon Peter's house. Well, what is this, what is this uh, condition here? Many that were possessed with devils. Well, at the time of Jesus' coming, and it's not a coincidence that it's at Jesus coming into the world that you find the kingdom of darkness reacting violently and forcibly against His coming. But at the time of Jesus' coming, uh, there were people that were under the control and the influence of hostile, unclean spirits, demons, members of the kingdom of darkness, the realm of Satan. And that demon possession manifested itself mentally, bodily, in, in various ways. It was ugly. And it was scary. Later on in this history, in Matthew 8, we, we read of the two, uh, the two men possessed with devils in the country of the Gergesenes, and, and no one went by there. 
Well, it wasn't only them that were demon-possessed. There were also all manner of people sick with various diseases that were brought to, G- that were brought to Simon Peter's house. Think of some of the diseases that the Scriptures record. Blindness, deafness, palsy, paralysis, all kinds of things. Infirmities not visible to the eye and yet very afflicted people coming to see Jesus, being brought to Jesus. So picture that scene. Imagine you are in Simon Peter's house. The sun is setting. And you look out the window, you peek out the curtain, and next thing you know, you look over here, for example, and you see uh, a man leading someone who's obviously blind. Maybe this man is in, in rags and tatters because he's had to beg his whole life because he wasn't supported by the, the community that was supposed to, supposed to support him. And as it gets closer, you can see in his eyes that this man has never seen a thing his whole life. You look out the window in another direction and you see, for example, two men carrying a cot to Simon Peter's house. And in that cot is a man paralyzed from the waist down who's never walked a day in his life. You look out the window in another direction and you see someone, you see someone coming and the way that he's acting and behaving and the closer he gets, your heart starts to drop. You realize this man is possessed with the devil and is coming right my way to the house where I am. Maybe you look out the window in another direction and you see someone who's so bowed down, so bent over, trying to, uh, being brought to Simon Peter's house that you know there's something very wrong inside. And what happened that evening was the ground outside Peter's house became a hospital ward like beds littered all over the place with people with all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And in that house is the great physician, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, this was not a pretty sight. This was an ugly scene. It was a sickly setting. Sometimes our familiarity with the Scripture accounts, as we said, uh, we, we read things too casually, sanitize things in our own mind and estimation. For example, think about uh, how the history of our Lord's birth is so sanitized. You drive down the street around Christmas time and there are cute manger scenes, right? And everything's shiny and glowing. Everyone's got their best clothes on. It's like the Taj Mahal. That wasn't what it was like. Don't sanitize that account. It was humble, lowly. It stank. Well, so now with regard to this account outside Peter's door, let's not sanitize this account. Demon-possessed people? Blind, deaf, paralyzed people? People who groaning in pain? A hospital ward? I dare say that if we were in Peter's house, we would have wanted to take a wide berth around that whole business. We wouldn't have wanted to get anywhere near that with a 10-foot pole. But, perhaps that betrays too high an estimation of ourselves and too low an estimation of our own sickness and disease that we have. 
And I don't mean now only, not even mainly bodily sicknesses, but sin sickness and sin disease and sin guilt and sin corruption. Now, we don't read the word sin in verses 16 and 17. And yet, sin is there in the text. We don't mean by this that these people's infirmities were directly caused because of some sin. And we must not fall into that that pit in laboring with and helping, say, them that are sick and diseased. Like the disciples, the man who was born blind, they asked Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. That's not the question. He says, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. Pastoral principle that our Lord gives us. But now where did all of this come from? What explains this sickly setting? Sin. Our sin in Adam in the Garden of Eden. What you had outside the home of Simon Peter was a window into this fallen world on this side of man's sin. And it's not pretty. This is the specter of death right outside uh, that window. And by reason of the fall, by reason of sin and the entrance of death into this world because of human sin, because of our sin, not only did, did, did spring into this world sicknesses and diseases, but original sin. The fact that we are in, our, in and of ourselves guilty and corrupt and depraved. You know, the literal translation for that expression, them that were sick, them that had it badly. Well, we have it badly in and of ourselves. We heard the law of God this morning. And Jesus summarizes that law thus. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. God created man. He created us good, able to keep those commandments. He created us loving Him with all of our heart. But now, how do we find ourselves? There's sin in you and there's sin in me. We're not able to do what God requires to be done. Not only that, but we break God's commandments in hatred against God and hatred against our neighbor. We're inclined to sin. There's foulness in us. And that's our chief misery. Not blindness if we're blind. Not deafness if we're deaf. But sin. Well, as Jesus says later in this Gospel, Matthew 9, verse Matthew 9, verse 12, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Right? Righteous people, people who are righteous in themselves, people who have what it takes, people who are good enough, don't need a savior. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus came into this world. Not to save righteous people. Not to, sa- not, not to save people who only need a little bit of help. Not to save people who can save themselves, but He came to save sinners who cannot save themselves. That's First Timothy. This is a worthy, faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. 
And thus, rather than be as the Pharisees who are always standing uh, apart from the publicans and sinners with their arms crossed, wondering why Jesus is hanging out with sinners, rather than have our arms crossed and stand outside of this mass of sick people outside of Peter's door, instead, let us say to ourselves, there am I in that wretched mass of people. There am I, the sinner. There am I, guilty and corrupt and in need of the grace of God in Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ came into this world to bestow unto us. And what a Savior. What a Savior. What a physician. Whereas we, by nature, we flinch at that scene, that setting, whereas by nature we want to go this way and not get dirty, not get down into the trenches and get mud on our boots, how do we find Jesus? Well, notice that Jesus does not say to Peter, He does not say to Peter, uh, Peter, throw the bolt on that door and don't let anyone in. I'm not going anywhere near that. Jesus does not shrink back Instead, he goes to, his heart goes out to this humanity that is is sick and diseased and demon-possessed and all of the rest. And in his mercy, determined to heal them, determined to bless and to lift up, he goes to work, binding up wounds, fixing the broken, applying the balm to the diseased. And we read here that, uh, that... He healed all that were sick. From the parallel passage in Luke 4, we read that He laid His hands on every one of them and healed them. What if there were lepers there? Imagine touching a leper. Jesus didn't hesitate. He touched and He healed and He had mercy on them. Them that were possessed, that came possessed with the devils, they go home free. Them that came blind, they go home seeing for the first time. They that came lame, they're going home leaping as in heart, just as Isaiah said would happen when the Messiah comes into this world. Isaiah the prophet. Matthew 8, verse 17, all this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So that, that text there that the inspired writer cites is from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 where we read, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And the inspired writer Matthew is saying that what Jesus did here is fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied the servant of the Lord would accomplish. In Isaiah 53. Now we're familiar with Isaiah 53. It is uh, the, the heart of the gospel message in the Old Testament of the servant of the Lord who would die for the sins of his people and through his sufferings and death would enter into his glory. That great Old Testament passage that preaches substitutionary atonement for our healing and for our peace. Here's the question. In what sense does verse 17 bear our, he, he took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses? 
how does Jesus' healing here fit into the message of Isaiah 53, which is the substitutionary atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ? How is there substitution, for example? Well, what the text teaches us is that when Jesus, for one, when Jesus healed, He did not go about that in a disinterested, cold, and clinical kind of way without any feeling. But it teaches us that Jesus entered into our sufferings. He felt with us. He felt with these people the misery that they were experiencing. It's not to say that He physically, literally became sick with the sickness that He healed uh, towards these people. But there was a burden that He experienced when He came into this world and, and lived life under the sun on, on this side of the fall. But that quotation of Isaiah 53 signifies more. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. It means more than that. It teaches us that Jesus came into this world to remove from us and to deliver us from the consequences of sin that we brought upon ourselves by our fall in Adam. Griefs, sicknesses, what was happening uh, with these diseases in Matthew 8, that all belongs under the umbrella of death. And where death? Where from death? Romans chapter 5, for as one by one man's sin, death entered into the world, and death upon all, for that all have sinned. Well, Jesus, the servant of the Lord, came as the substitute for us. The one who came to remove from us the consequences of sin by taking those consequences upon himself through his substitutionary and atoning death on the cross. Before we consider that in more detail, another thing that we ought to consider when it comes to this miracle that Jesus performed. The New Testament is so full of miracles of healing that Jesus performed. And a great example is the text before us right now. Sometimes, and this is not wrong, but when we, find, when we come across a miracle like this, maybe our first line of interpretation is demon possession, these sicknesses and these diseases, physical diseases, teach us something of the foulness and the misery of sin. And so we apply the text that way, the spiritual application of the healing of the physical disease. That's true. That's a great interpretation of such passages as these. Jesus heals the blind, and that signifies, shows to us how Jesus cures us of our spiritual blindness, for example. Don't miss this Aspect and this line of interpretation, though, when you have something like this, it is a flashing forth of the kingdom of heaven 
It is a flashing forth of the new into the here and now in Jesus Christ. Let's, let's unpack that. This flashing forth of the kingdom of heaven. We'll go all the way back to Genesis 3, verse 15. Man has fallen into sin. He's a dead man. Death has passed upon mankind. Adam and Eve have sinned. Well, God seeks out Adam and Eve, and God promises them this seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Paraphrase. God promised to Adam and Eve, I am going to send my son. He's going to save you from your sins. He's going to deliver you from the death consequence that you brought upon yourself. He's going to restore things, and not just to where they were before, but He's going to bring things to an even higher level. He's going to usher in righteousness and peace and life everlasting in the new heaven and the new earth. And all through the Old Testament, God kept repeating that promise to the people of God. The Messiah is coming. And when He comes, it's going to be righteousness and peace. Death will be finally done away. All things will be made new. There will be no more sickness and griefs and sorrows and diseases and sin and sinfulness. And that promise kept being repeated throughout the Old Testament. Well, now look. Here it is. Jesus has arrived. The King is here. And the Kingdom of Heaven is flashing forth. These demon-possessed, they are defeated through the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. The sicknesses and the, and, and the diseases that, that sprang into this world through man's fall into sin, they are undone. People are restored. Death is being done away with. And that was foreshadowing. It was a, a breaking forth, it was a flashing forth of, of the new. Heaven and the new earth. The kingdom of heaven that Jesus came into this world to bring about. And what a way. What a way through which Jesus Christ inaugurated and ushered in the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 53. What's the drumbeat of that passage? And the drumbeat of that passage is He bare our sins because that was the cause of our misery. That was the cause of death. That was the cause of this ugliness. That is our, 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 the chief thing by reason of which we need deliverance. Well, Jesus came into this world to save. He came into this world to save sinners. And that required of this King that He take upon Himself our guilt and our iniquity. That our, be, that our iniquity be laid upon Him and that Jesus Christ be judged in our place for our sin. Condemned of God that we might be accepted of God and heirs of eternal life. And that Jesus willingly submitted to. The Lord hath laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our uh, iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. That guilt, the guilt of our disobedience, the guilt of our everyday failing to do what God says by loving Him perfectly and loving our neighbor as ourselves perfectly, 
the guilt of all of our falling short and all of our failure and this great mass of sin, Jesus assumed to Himself. And Jesus was judged in our place and satisfied for our sins on the cross. And what does Isaiah say? And with His stripes we are healed. Because of His blood that He shed, we are healed. And what does that healing include? Everything. Healing from the guilt of sin. Healing from the corruption of sin. Healing from sickness and disease. If not in this life, well then in the life to come in the resurrection of the body. Healing and blessing and salvation that stretches all the way ahead to Revelation and 21 and 22. And the promise of the Gospel is that all them that believe in Jesus Christ, yours is the Kingdom of Heaven. It's all yours. All that Jesus Christ purchased all that He reaped, all that He obtained through His sufferings, merits, labors, uh, death, and satisfaction, it's all yours and mine who believe in Him. That means that your sins are forgiven. They are blotted out in the blood of Jesus Christ. It means, believer, that the righteousness that Jesus achieved is yours as a free gift. And because of that righteousness, you have everything you need for your salvation. Without any work or contribution required on your part to be added thereto. Jesus is a sufficient Savior. Which means that all they that possess Him through faith have in Him complete salvation. And what more can be required than Jesus Christ? Yours is the kingdom of heaven means that you are a new creature in Jesus Christ. Delivered from all the power of the devil. New creature now doesn't mean you cease to be a sinner. Romans chapter 7. But there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Yours is the kingdom of heaven and that kingdom is coming. In this life, there is so much that puts us in mind of the perfection that is in store for all them that love God. The kingdom is now, and the kingdom is coming. As for this present age, what do we experience? Well, there's still suffering. There's still sickness, and there's still disease. There are many children of God, and you have many a brother and sister who all their life suffer sickness and disease. Think about the brother or the sister diagnosed with cancer or some other kind of terminal illness or disease. What about this text? Didn't Jesus come into this world to to deliver us from that too? Yes and amen, He did. And as for that suffering and sickness and disease in this present age, if it's God's will that, that one of His children should suffer that all through this life, there's no more sting in that. There's no more sting of death in that, but in Jesus Christ it is pressed into and made subservient to our salvation. And there is a day coming when all the effects of the fall, including cancer, including disease, including infirmity of the body or of the mind, all of those things shall be finally undone 
when Jesus Christ shall come again and usher in the perfection of the kingdom and our body shall be raised and we with resurrected bodies shall dwell with Him forever in the world to come. And for that we look. How did Jesus perform these miracles? By the Word. By the Word that He spake. By the Word that was heard outside Peter's door that evening. So notice that He healed by the Word. When the even was come, they brought unto Him many that were possessed with devils, and He cast out the spirits with His Word and healed all that were sick. Word! With His Word! So if you had been there, you would have heard Jesus speak maybe along these lines, devil, I charge you, come out of this man. And the devil came out. Or to the blind, he said, receive thy sight. And he saw to the lame, take up thy bed and walk. And he got up and he walked. Now notice that the word that Jesus spake had an effect. Jesus' word does things. It makes things happen. Unlike our words. Or many times we speak and it does not happen. And it does not... Um, parents, for example, experience that in the raising of their children. Well, Jesus' Word has power. Jesus' Word is effective. And that ought, that ought not to surprise us because who is the Son of Man? Who is the King of the Kingdom of Heaven? Who is this One that was standing outside Peter's door that day? God incarnate. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word made flesh spake. The voice of God rang out. The, and that voice of God from the very beginning, let there be light, and there was light. The voice of God. Well, how does this apply to us in the New Testament dispensation, the New Testament age? Well, we don't find these kind of extraordinary, dramatic to the human eye miracles like could be seen when Jesus walked upon this earth and when the apostles performed their ministry in the apostolic age. That doesn't mean Jesus has ceased speaking. That doesn't mean Jesus has stopped speaking with power and with effect. Now, it might not be so dazzling to the human eye we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the Apostle says. The means whereby Jesus causes His voice to be heard through the preaching of the Gospel. Foolishness and weakness in the eyes of men. But therein is revealed Christ Jesus, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The means of the Gospel. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That text is not to be understood, not to be understood this way, that man's faith makes the Gospel effective. Rather, so powerful and effective is the Word of the Gospel that Jesus Christ speaks through the, uh, through the ministry of the Word. That it takes effect in producing faith in the hearts of God's people. Creates faith. So powerful. Well, that Gospel needs to be preached. Jesus said to His disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Preach the Gospel in all the world. That's the official mission of the church. 
in this present age. Her official mission is not to, uh, not in the first place to heal them that, that are sick physically. Although don't think the church doesn't have a care for the needs, including the physical needs of, of the wounded and the hurting and the sick. The diaconate, for example, a ministry of mercy. Neither is the official mission of the church in the first place to relieve, for example, the, the world from poverty. Don't overreact and suppose that the church has no interest in helping those with financial need. Again, the ministry of mercy, the diaconate. Love your brother and your sister and your neighbor. Do good unto all, but especially unto them that are of the household of faith. The official calling and mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel. Is to preach Jesus Christ who suffered and died and rose from the dead and the promise of salvation to all them that trust in Him. That's the mission. And when, when you consider how much misery there is in this world, and there is, when you, when you read the news on your phone, it's misery after misery. It makes your heart sink. It's death and sin and ugly. What's the answer? The answer to that is Jesus Christ. And it's, through, it's by His Gospel that Jesus Christ gives hope, gives forgiveness, constitutes people heirs of eternal life, gives the kingdom of heaven to His elect in whose hearts He works faith. So important that this Gospel be preached. But not only that this Gospel continue to be preached um, to them that are outside the household of faith, but so important that the Gospel of the great physician and the good news of Christ Jesus and Him crucified for our salvation, all of it, that that continue to be preached to us, sheep gathered, them whom Christ has brought into the fold. Remember this, that we never graduate from the Gospel in this life. We never graduate from it. There is never a point in the Christian life where he may say, well, now I know enough about the Gospel and therefore we may leave the Gospel behind and now I may uh, get on with it uh, in my Christian life. Not at all. Not at all. We never graduate from the Gospel in this life. Consider, we are sheep. We are sinners. Over the course of one week, think about how much, how much failure there is and, and shortcoming. How much, how much imperfection. And we continue to experience that. The burden of guilt. The, the sighing and groaning at never being able to, to, to keep God's commandments perfectly, encountering weakly our own sinfulness that pains us and grieves us. Not only that, but the trials of this life that make the heart of the child of God sad and heavy laden and, and, and borne down. Tribulation and affliction. Well, the fold of the church wherein the Gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the fold of the church is not a museum 
uh, for those that have arrived and only need a little help and assistance now and are getting, just, getting along just fine on their own. Not that. The fold of the church is a place where medicine is administered to sinners. And it's a place where Jesus Christ, the great physician, applies the balm of Gilead to the wounded hearts, to the, to the broken people, to them that are hurting, to them that are, are sorry to God that they've broken all of His commandments again. And all through this life, Jesus Christ is with us by His Word and by His Spirit. And He is ministering to us. He feeds us by the Word of the Gospel. He comforts our hearts. What does the Scripture say? He does not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. He binds up the brokenhearted and comforts all them that mourn. He gives unto them that mourn in Zion beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy mercy towards us in Jesus Christ and for his faithfulness to us as we go through this life that is fraught with suffering and sin and trial and affliction. Bless us by thy word and spirit. Comfort our hearts by the forgiveness of sins and the promise of the life everlasting. And cause us daily to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Cause us to study him and grant that we may know him more and more and knowing in him, trust in him more and more for all that we need. Forgive our sins and hear our prayer. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.